this is what the living word of God says. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So we dive into the scriptures together this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible gift to read your word together in community this morning. We ask that over these next few minutes and moments, uh, we would not encounter church today, but we would encounter your presence. That we would not encounter what we think of you, who we have made you to be, but we would encounter who you really are. Jesus, would you show us yourself today? Holy Spirit, would you move in such power today that the only way this time could be explained is you? Heavenly Father, would you reveal to us just how much you love us and that you are the God who is. We invite your presence into this space. Would you wake up our hearts with wonder of who you are and how we can participate in it with you? We love you. We give you all the glory. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said. Amen. Are those words... The words that the Lord God himself uses to describe who he is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgiving. As you woke up this morning, peeled the crusty from your eyes, poured yourself a cup of coffee, as, as, your heat, as your feet hit the floor, as you looked in the mirror and you brushed those pearly whites and hopped in that shower, as you piled into the car and drove over that bridge or across the street or through the neighborhoods as you saw the calm water, the sun peeking through the trees as the birds were vibing to the morning, good, good. As you walked into this space, said hello to strangers or friends, as you sat down in that chair, as you leaned into it, do you know that this is who our God is? Do you know that right here, right now, in this moment, our God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Merciful, Gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you know that that is who our God is? Now maybe you've heard different. Maybe you've experienced different. Maybe through some people or some programs that claim to represent this God, you experience something that looks anything but what those words mean. Maybe you carry wounds. Maybe you carry doubts. Maybe you carry lies of who this God is. Maybe because of something or someone, you are not quite so sure if that really is who God is. And I just want to say I'm so sorry 
if that is part of your story. I'm so sorry for the misrepresentation the church, people, pastors, and programs have had on the Lord God who is. That we have so much of the time failed. But that's what makes this passage so important. That's what makes this passage absolutely incredible. That right here in the pages of Scripture, in Exodus chapter 34, as Moses meets with the I am who I am, the one true God of all glory and goodness, the creator of everything and everyone, the Lord God Almighty, the one who is this God, he opens his mouth and he declares this of himself. As if to say, yes, I know people will get it wrong. My name will be misrepresented. People will try to categorize me in the wrong areas. I'll get accused of things that I am not. And into the box, humanity will toss me. But let me clear the air. I will declare the truth of who I am. And these words, they are not man-made. They are not man-said. They are not fun ideas or inspirational, empty religious phrases. No, this is what the I am declares of himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Do you know this morning that that is who our God is? Because if we, the church, the body of Christ, if we, the imperfect followers of Jesus, do not know that this is who our God is, we will not prioritize His presence. Our prayers will be a lip service. Our worship will be stale. And we will have no desire to share the good news of the gospel. For why would we? If God is just some abstract thought or idea, if we believe that He is angry or selfish, that He saves some and ridicules others, if we think this is just a checkbox religious game, then what's the point? But if we believe, if we have come to trust and to know that this God who declares these words of Himself is merciful, is gracious, is slow to anger, is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who forgives, if we believe and know this is our God, it should change everything about our lives. It should cause all of the beats of our heart to orient around His. And then do anything and everything to tell all the people about Him. But here's the snag. We, for a large part, aren't so sure about if this really is our God. Even though this passage, He declares it of Himself. Even though this verse is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible by the Bible. That every biblical author points back to this verse of who God is. And even though Jesus came and dwelt among us and lived out the truth of this passage, revealed to us that in, in fact, it is true. Even though the only way to explain anything is to know who God really is, we, for a large part, still aren't so sure. Why? Well, where was Moses when he finds out the truth of who God is? Where was Moses when the Lord God declares the truth of himself? Where is Moses when he hears the identity of the God who is? He's with him. Verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
For we cannot know who God is or what God is like unless we are with him. That's the gospel of Mark chapter 3 when Jesus calls the disciples. When he sets them apart, verse 14, Jesus appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he sent them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We get all excited about the awesome ministry moments that the apostles did. We get all excited about the productivity in our lives. We get so caught up in the world around us that we miss that the greatest calling of a follower of Jesus as defined by Jesus himself is to be with him. For we cannot know who God is or what God is like unless we are with him. So the question for us is, how do we meet with God like Moses did on the mountain? How do we be with Jesus like he called the disciples? How do we know and hear who the one true God really is? The one true God who marches the galaxies out, who hung the stars, created the streams, brought forth all living creatures, who got dirt in the creases of his hands so that we would know perfect love. How do we hear and know this God, the one who willingly chose the cross, defeated hell, death, and the grave, imparts his Holy Spirit to us, desires the church to be filled with awe and wonder and produce signs and wonders? How do we know the God who is altogether merciful, gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. How do we meet with God and know Him as that? How in all of the common and ordinary and busy of our lives, in this everyday thing called life, are we supposed to know this to be true about our God? How? Prayer. Were you hoping for something more sexy? I can say it different. Prayer. And notice that as we say prayer, we immediately dismiss it already. Ah, I've already, I already do that. How else could I be with the living God? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the secret sauce of the saints. The weapon of the weak. Prayer is the posture of the disciple. The common and ordinary follower of Jesus. Prayer is, besides the gospel, the most powerful thing that the church has to offer. The health and power of a community practicing the way of Jesus together is not marked by a good preacher, catchy music, good coffee, or an awesome building. No, the dynamic move of the Holy Spirit that can change lives forever is marked by prayer. It is marked by imperfect people praying to the perfect God. It is always the praying church that is the most powerful church. But you want to know why? Because prayer does its deepest work in the person praying. It is not the external result of prayer that grants us what we truly seek. No. It is the internal revelation of who our God really is that happens in the place of prayer. How do we meet with God like Moses did on the mountain? How do we be with Jesus like he called his disciples to himself? How do we remind ourselves that the scriptures are true and this really is our God? Pray. For we cannot know what God is like or who he is unless we are with him. That's Jesus all throughout the gospel accounts. Always praying to the Father. Now yes, he is the God-man, but make no mistake of how hard his life would have been. And to be constantly reminded of who his heavenly Father really is. The practice of prayer and being with God is something Jesus displays all throughout his ministry. 
In Mark chapter 1, the Bible records that Jesus was healing people. All sorts of different things. And it caught the attention of the whole city, the Bible says. You probably know the story. But verse 35 of Mark 1, rising verily in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Or in Matthew chapter 14, the scripture tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 people. Remember, we talked about it a few weeks back. Signs and wonders are breaking out. People ate to their fill, the Bible record. But did you know verse 23 of Matthew 14, and after Jesus dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Or later in the Gospel of John, Jesus found walking on water. He calms the wind and the waves. He brings stillness to the chaos. You probably know the story. But moments before that, the Bible tells us that he's alone. And he's praying and he's being with his father. Or Luke 22, when Jesus, he washes the disciples' feet and he brings forth a new covenant of his blood and his body and the grace that is sufficient for all people so that you and I, no matter our story, can know the perfect love of the living God. You probably know the story, but did you know that in verse 42 of Luke? And Jesus knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Or when the Savior, when he's strung up on the cross and is taking the wages of my sin, of your sin, of our sin, on his shoulders, because our God really is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and isn't forgiving. In that moment of complete distress, agony, pain, and despair, Jesus, he prays, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Which is sealed with the prayer and crying out, it is finished. You probably know the story. But why was Jesus found before or after every miraculous count in the entire narrative of the Gospels in prayer and being with the Heavenly Father? Could it be that that was the place he was reminded in the midst of all the suffering and all the wrongs that needed righted and all the brokenness and pain of all the work that Jesus was in fact doing, but he still needed to be faithful to? Could it be the place that in the midst of it all, Jesus just needed to be reminded that he is God and is altogether merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and isn't forgiving? Or could it be that it was just the place where Jesus got rest, found nourishment, Maybe it was the place of deep intimacy, the place where it was just him and his father, delighting and abiding. It could be all of them. All we know for certain is that it was the place that Jesus prioritized the most. It was the place that Jesus prioritized the most. Are we? Are we prioritizing his presence the most? When we pray, did you know it's the closest that we get to the first page of Scripture? That when you and I, imperfect as we are, when we pray, it is the closest we get to being in the garden again with the God who loves us, longs to talk to us, and share life with us. The Genesis 1 and 2, communing with the Lord God who loves and delights in us. Not in a distant and ashamed kind of way, but in a deep intimacy with total vulnerability and delight. That when we pray, we are creating that reality alive again. Walking with God in the common and ordinary of the day. Prayer, it's the thin place where heaven and earth meet. Prayer is the thin place where His kingdom comes and His will is done. Prayer is the thin place where the sorrow is met with the Savior of it. And where joy is met with the person of it. Do you want to know what God is like? Pray. Does your heart cry out, I want to go to the garden again and be with God? 
pray. I want righteousness, joy, and peace in the streets of this city. Pray. I want reconciliation, forgiveness, justice, and wrongs to be righted, and wounds to be healed, and life to be full. Pray. I want to stop feeling so alone and ashamed and believing the lies that the God who created me doesn't want anything to do with me. Pray. Because just in case you missed it, the God you are praying to, the one you are with in those moments, is altogether merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Do you want to believe and know that to be true about our God? Pray. Well, how? That was my question as well. Yesterday, Jesus, what what do you want me to say? What is the strategic plan of how we are going to communicate how we are supposed to pray? And I'm outside and I'm in my shed, hanging out preparing, putting the last few finishing touches on this bad boy right here. And I am scratching my head and I'm going, what is our strategic plan for pray? What is my ABC one, two, three of how we're going to do this and teach us? I do not know. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, I thought I was good at this. And then my daughter, she's running across our lawn and she looks over and she sees me in the shed. And I was like, oh no, it's not going to be good. And she runs, just bolts. over to me and she starts slamming on the glass door and she goes dada dada can I come in and be with you I open the door she comes in the shed she sits on my chair she said dad sit down sit down next to me sit down next to me she sits down I sit down next to her she just starts talking just talking 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 my computer's open my bible's open I'm like, I got to get back to this. She's just talking. And then guess what she did after that? Just kept talking. She's going to be three in August. She just was talking and talking. And then after the talking, guess what she did? She was talking. And then she kept talking. And it was the best moment ever. And she left. I closed the door. Sat back down. That's how we pray. Father, can I come in and be with you? Did you know, no matter what, no matter what you're carrying, no matter if it's joy, pain, sorrow, or somewhere in between, oh, he opens the door every single time. Because prayer is not what we've made it. He just wants you with him. He just wants you in his presence. Because it's the best thing for you, and it's the best thing for him. Do you know that this morning? Prayer, prioritizing his presence, the most productive thing you could do in your entire life. But you might think, well, aren't I just annoying? What do I even say? Doesn't doesn't he have some other stuff going on? No. The Heavenly Father, he wants you in his presence. He delights in you. He loves to love you. But what does that practically look like? How do we practically live into this? How do we know him as who he is? Well, prayer is intimacy. And that intimacy can be quiet. Be still and know, the Bible says. That means put away the noise. Just be with him. 
Just be with him. Power off the phone, shut off the TV, silence the noise. When you hop in your car next time, don't reach for the music or put on the podcast. Just be still and know that he is God. Wait upon the Lord, the Bible says. That means put away the hurried pace and just wait in his presence. Don't move on to something that you think might be better. Just wait upon the Lord and watch as your soul catches up with your body. And notice that both of those have nothing to do with words. Prayer is intimacy. That intimacy can be loud. Pour out your hearts before him, the Bible says. That means don't hold back. Let it rip. Whatever's racing through your mind, pour it on him. Whatever's on your heart, share it with the God who is. Whatever work moment or parenting moment that has you on the edge, pour it out before him. He loves to hear the voices that he created. My soul cries out, the Bible says. That means direct your anger, your grief, your joy, your praise, your questions, all of it at him. Nowhere else. Let your soul cry out to the one who made it. He can handle whatever you bring him in whatever way you want to bring it. And notice that both of those have everything to do with words. But all four, they are about his presence. No matter what, it is to be with him. But I know you could be thinking, prayer? Really? That's really how we're going to put it in the darkness? Me, you, us, just praying? Prioritizing the presence of the one true God? That is how the world will be righted and love will be known? Well, it worked for Moses. Worked for Elijah. Worked for Daniel. Worked for David and Ruth and Esther. Worked for Jesus. Worked for the disciples. Worked for the early church. Worked for Paul and Mary and Timothy and Barnabas. All throughout the narrative of Scripture, prayer. They banked everything on prayer. Because when the church prioritizes prayer, we reap kingdom in the city. Because when we pray, when we are with the God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, when we pray, when we are with Jesus, abiding in the Holy Spirit, deeply and intimately connected to the God who is, who do we become like? Who do we start to be like? Who do we start to sound like? What is the overflow of all of that intimacy? You know, the Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I hope that isn't true about us. I don't want to be who I was yesterday. Tomorrow, I do not want to be who I am today. I want to be more like Jesus. I want holiness in my heart. I want to be more merciful. I want to be more gracious. I want to be even slower to anger. I want to abound in steadfast love. I want to be more faithful. I want forgiveness on my fingertips. How does that happen? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we become more like the God of all of those things? Pray. Be with him. Because it is not the external result of prayer that grants us what we truly seek. No. It is the internal transformation that takes place because of who our God really is. And that transformation happens in prayer. What if our only priority was his presence? 
What if our only priority in prayer was His presence? What if our only strategy to reach people in the streets was deep prayer in our hearts? What if we banked everything on prayer and found out if God still is who He says He is? Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank You that You are merciful and gracious. Thank You that You look at us and love us. Thank You that You are slow to anger. Thank You that You abound in steadfast love, faithfulness. Thank You that You are extending forgiveness even right here and right now. Would You make us a people of prayer so that we could be people who know Your presence? Would we not leave here today being the same we walked in? But would we really, truly in this moment encounter Your presence and come alive in who You are? Make us more like You, Jesus. Would we become a people who prioritize Your presence so much that the overflow of our lives looks like You? Would You have Your way in us? Would You transform the way we think of You through the way that we pray to You? Would we pour out our hearts before You? Would we cry out before You? Would we wait upon You? Would we be still and know that You are the God who is? We love You. It's Your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said. Amen.